Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Daniel Golden. Man, aren't these strange times that we are living in. Um, it's been uh, it's been kind of difficult as we've listened to the Proclaiming the One programs over the last couple of weeks because we record these about 10 days in advance or so. And uh, we, I think we do a pretty good job with the theological things that we're talking about, but uh, it's really difficult for us to be timely with regard to world events and world topics and some of those things. And so this is the first program that we're recording uh, in light of the events that have taken place over the last 10 or 12 days. It was eight days ago here at Good Shepherd, and I'm talking about from the time we're recording this, was eight days ago that we had a special elders meeting at Good Shepherd, and we decided to cancel corporate worship for two weeks and hope that the epidemic that is plaguing our world and our country would have a chance to die down. We, uh, we did this primarily out of Christian love and uh, obedience to our civil authorities, and when you hear this program, I'm not 100% sure if we're still going to be into this uh, self-imposed uh, quarantine of corporate worship, or if we're going to be back in God's house, either in a limited way or in a complete way. We're looking at the readings for Palm Sunday. And I know that as people listen to this, there are going to be many thoughts, uh, ideas, worries, and fears. We're not here to talk about politics. We're not here to talk about world horse health organization recommendations. We're here to talk about the Word of God. Uh, Pastor, some comments on the situation in the world and why we should care about the Scripture readings for the upcoming Sunday, uh, especially the Palm Sunday readings, which is the beginning of Holy Week. Well, I, I do think that uh, even though the world seems to be chaotic and sort of falling apart and even uh, uh, watching the news, if you can still stomach it, has been difficult, uh, the reality is is that the life of the church continues. It doesn't uh, get interrupted by panic or plague or disasters or anything like that. Uh, the Word of God still goes forth. It waters the ground, uh, as Isaiah writes, uh, bringing forth food for the eater and uh, uh, bread uh, and I'm misquoting all that here because you caught me off guard about this topic, but the reality is is that the Word still goes out, the Holy Spirit still creates and sustains faith, and we still have a Christian faith uh, and the ability to confess that faith even in the times of panic. In fact, I'd say probably even more so in the time of panic. And so as Christians, that's what we're called to do. And that's why we've been making available as much as possible um, video devotions. We have uh, ability to contact the church and arrange for uh, 
communion and uh, uh, also for a visit from your pastors. And uh, uh, we'll continue to preach the word as faithfully as we can under the circumstances, uh, even as we have to do so for maybe uh, a little bit larger social distance than normal, uh, because that's how important God's word is. And the faith comes by hearing. Uh, the power is in the Word of God, and uh, our radio station, KNNALP 95.7, right here in Lincoln, Nebraska, has been a great blessing. I know that we've had people all over the world tune in through our app or through our website, thecross957.org, and this uh, current crisis has forced us as a congregation to minister in ways that uh, were only kind of an idea, and uh, our services uh, are being streamed, live streamed. Uh, we're, we're getting the kinks worked out, and uh, you can check that out on uh, uh, YouTube. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Media is what you search, and we also have daily devotions that we've been producing every day, so we're doing our best to get the life-changing life-giving, peace-sustaining Word of God out in a variety of ways. And we just encourage you to um, invite people, family, friends, enemies, whatever, to listen to the Word of God. And these would, and there are many, many resources out there. These would just be a few to get you started. And our vicar's been doing a great job getting all those materials from the different places and making them available right on our church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org. And so take a look there. It's an easy one-stop location to find uh, devotions, services, bulletins, uh, and other information from the congregation as well. And I'm always I'm always a big jokester when it comes to the vicars, and I just I feel like it's my personal mission to uh, tease and humiliate them and to keep them from getting a big head. And uh, I'm quite good at it, I'll have you know. I've had a lot of practice, but uh, Vicar Golden has gone above and beyond the call of duty in so many ways this year on Vicarage, and uh, his stepping up to uh, help out with uh, some of the deficiencies that we had in our website, uh, getting things up to date, being able to navigate through some of these different waters with uh, YouTube and Facebook and all these things has been great, and uh, Coming up with a very, very sufficient way to email our letter, our members on a regular basis. And if you'd like to receive some of these email updates that we're sending our members, please call the church office, send us a quick note, whatever. We'd love to add you to our MailChimp list. Or go to our website, scroll down to the bottom, put in your name, your email, you get automatically added. Show off. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the Word of God. We're looking at the readings for Palm Sunday, and a lot of churches do a lot of different stuff on Palm Sunday. I've never really quite understood that. When I was a kid, and for most of my life, uh, we never, ever, ever celebrated Palm Sunday in my home congregation because Palm Sunday was the traditional day in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, for confirmation. And so, coming to Good Shepherd and being able to actually celebrate Palm Sunday and have a full complement of Holy Week worship services has been a great and, uh, for me, a unique blessing. So we're not going to be doing any of those other things. It's not Sunday of the Passion here at Good Shepherd. We are looking at the readings for Palm Sunday. And the Gospel reading for Palm Sunday, John chapter 12, 12 through 19. Vicar, 
The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Okay, John chapter 12, 12 through 19. And one of the unique features of congregations that are able to uh, worship and observe each of the days in Holy Week, uh, not only Palm Sunday and many, if not most congregations, observe Monday, Thursday and Good Friday, but congregations that are able to do all of the services, Holy Monday, Holy Tuesday, Holy Wednesday, and the Easter Vigil, are able to pretty much go from John 12 through John uh, 20, if you count Easter Sunday, with the exception of the Upper Room High Priestly Prayer, which is the Gospel readings in the Sundays of Easter. So between Palm Sunday and Pentecost, we pretty much get every word from John 12 through the end of the Gospel of John. Pastor, uh, just some thoughts about the significance of spending so much time in the Gospel of John during this special time of the year. Well, I think John's gospel is so theologically rich. John's focus is proving that Christ is the fulfillment of the Pentateuch uh, and that all the things that happened were foretold. It's written in a very easy, down-to-earth way. Uh, Even, uh, I mean, it is the language of a Galilean fisherman from uh, the uh, first century A.D. Even the Greek is written in such a way, it's kind of like backwoods sort of Greek rather than uh, very formal in-town Greek. And that comes across in the translation, so it's easy to read, but the more that you read it, the deeper and uh, uh, more details you find that John is included in there. And so it's just great gospel for us to focus on. because it teaches so very much to us. And uh, this time of the year is great for focusing on those things. It's been a tradition in the church for a long, long time. Uh, And even, um, you know, we look back and we have um, the great passion readings for like uh, Good Friday that all come from John that has goes back... Uh, you know, millennia, that uh, that's what we're still doing here. And so it's great tradition, great theology, uh, great depth, and yet still very simple to read and understand. The next day, John 12, verse 12. What day are we talking about there, Pastor? Well, <clears throat> we're talking about um, 
the day after Mary anointed Jesus uh, in Bethany. So uh, Jesus has gone to Bethany, which is a couple miles to the east of Jerusalem. It's there that he raised Lazarus from the dead, and he spends some time there uh, before coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And so you can imagine what that's like. Uh, He just raised Mary's brother from the dead, and now he's anointed by her, uh, smelling like nard uh, for the whole next week as he's there in Jerusalem. And uh, and so it's the next day after that anointing that this takes place. Okay. Uh, when we're talking about Palm Sunday, we get um, the palm branches that are uh, listed here in verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Now, I just want to, in the time that we have left in this segment, Pastor, uh, palm branches, what's the significance? Well, uh, number one, palm trees are very, very common in uh, Israel at this time especially. Uh, There was a Judean date palm tree that grew everywhere, made really delicious dates uh, that people ate for food and harvested, and these naturally filled the entire Jordan River Valley and then even overflowed up into the mountains uh, of Israel around that area. And so they're a very common tree. Uh, By nature, as they grow taller, the palms on the bottom die and fall down, and so you can cut them off and it won't harm the tree long term. Uh, And then it also kind of is, in a way, our confetti uh, matches what this idea is. It's the kind of thing that uh, is used for celebration and rejoicing, just like uh, uh, confetti is used at a football game or something today. Okay, or after a a Super Bowl victory or the end of the parade at the end of World War II, some of those kind of pictures in mind. Ticker tape. Yeah, we want to come back and take a look at our readings for Palm Sunday when we come back. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the little children sang. The uh, tradition at Good Shepherd, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, is to begin our divine service with a children's procession with palms. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do that this year or not. Um, Maybe we'll just have to have the anticipation for doing it a year from now. I'm not sure. We could make the vicar do it, right? Uh, I think that would be great. Uh, we usually have the vicar lead the procession anyway, so we just, uh, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, as we're as we're navigating these difficult waters, we want to dig back into John chapter 12. We're looking at verses 12 through 19, the traditional gospel reading for Palm Sunday. We know the timing of the event. We know a little bit about uh, palms. Pastor, you talked about palm branches um, right at the close of our break. And one of the things that is mentioned is palm branches are highlighted at least once, if not more, in the book of Revelation. They are. What is what is the significance of the <clears throat> palm branches in uh, the book of Revelation? 
Well, they're in, uh, I believe, Revelation chapter 7, and it's the picture of all the people who have come out of the Great Tribulation, washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, and uh, are therefore standing before his throne for all eternity in peace, comfort, and joy. And it's kind of the procession then again, the same idea. These are the people who are celebrating Christ and the reality of who he is and why he's come and the forgiveness and salvation that we have. And I Boy, not to be too particular, but even uh, the amazing thing is the palm branches that they have uh, would have used at the Palm Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Those are all but extinct. Only one tree exists. And so when you see it all in Revelation, you see the new creation where everything is restored and put back as well, uh, where we get to uh, celebrate the fullness of what God's creation should have been had we not brought sin into it. Excellent. We have the visual here with the palm branches, but there is also an audio thing going on here as well. In verse 13, it says, uh, they came out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. What's this Hosanna stuff, Pastor? Well, it comes from the uh, Psalm 118, uh, and uh, Psalm 118 is great because it has this, uh, it means, save us, we pray, O Lord, that's what Hosanna means, and that's what Psalm 118 verse 25 says as well. And right before that, we have this great word as well, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Uh, we read that at the graveside, but we also then have this immediate fulfillment in the sense that Jesus is a writing uh, uh, this donkey down the Mount of Olives, across this valley, and then into the Temple Mount, through this particular door uh, into the Temple Mount. It's the door that the scapegoat goes in and out of at uh, the Day of Atonement. It's also the door that uh, tradition had held the Messiah would ride through to enter into Jerusalem, and that's what Jesus is doing. And that tradition is so strong that even today that uh, door is blocked closed, uh, and also the Muslims planted a cemetery in front of it because uh, a, a messiah wouldn't be able to go through a cemetery and remain ritually clean to enter the uh, the temple mount. So uh, that tradition is so strong there, but that's the door, the gate that we're talking about that Jesus enters into. And so all these things then are fulfillment of Psalm 118. Pat, Vicar, it seems to me that in the divine service, I hear this uh, Hosanna thing going on in the service uh, in any of the various settings. What time in the worship service is this whole Hosanna thing sung in the liturgy? Just before the Lord's Supper is distributed and received by the daughter of Zion, the, the church itself, uh, Hosanna being save us and we are literally and actually saved by the body and blood of Jesus, forgiven. So, so instead of Jesus uh, humbly riding into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey, he humbly rides into the sanctuary for Christians to eat and drink, riding on bread and wine. Um, do not lose the significance of that humble way that Jesus continues to come. Uh, pastor, in verse 18, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been, about, been written about him and had been done to him. Pastor, that word glory or glorified 
is everywhere in the Gospel of John, perhaps no more than saturated in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. As people journey with us during Holy Week through the Gospel of John, what is the significance of this whole glory topic? Well, uh, we talked about this last week. The glory of Jesus is when he's hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying to forgive sins. I think also John uses this word because John's writing to show Jesus as the fulfillment of the Pentateuch. And in the Pentateuch, we see the glory of God everywhere, uh, existing in the uh, burning bush, in the pillar of cloud by day, and pillar of fire by night, in uh, um, all these other ways, too, filling the temple, holy of holies, uh, departing from the temple before the Babylonians destroy Jerusalem, etc. And so what we're saying is that this glory is finding itself in the person of Jesus, the two natures uh, united together into one Christ, and uh, that that is revealed most clearly then in Jesus suffering, bleeding, and dying to forgive us all of our sin. Now, I think many people, when they think of glory, they think of something intangible, kind of an idea or a feeling, something that you can't really put your hands on. But the way you describe glory there, Pastor, and I think Maybe the way glory is used in parts of the Old Testament, uh, especially the word kavod, it brings along with it a connotation, uh, maybe even more than a connotation, maybe maybe just a downright direct teaching on something physical, something tangible, maybe even a real presence kind of an idea. Your thoughts on that? It is, and it's a real presence that can... Uh hurt you very badly if you uh, approach it or treat it the wrong way, and that's uh, an important thing for us to keep in mind. You know, uh, the uh, high priest was only allowed into the Holy of Holies where the glory of God was once a year and only then with blood in his hand and dressed the right way. Um, The uh, uh, glory of the Lord that was between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the guy tripped and bumped up against the Ark of the Covenant and died as a result of touching it. And so that glory is there. God is, um, to use the words of C.S. Lewis, he's not a tame lion. Uh, He has teeth and is a little bit dangerous. The good news for us as Christians is that he's there in that glory for us, not using it to hurt or harm us, but instead by bleeding and dying on the cross so that we might be saved, uh, so that he might hurt and harm and destroy the power of sin, death, and the devil. Well said. This glory of God is for you, and this glory of God is not some mystical kind of a thought. It is the very body and blood of Jesus, his person and work, for you and for your salvation. Now, Pastor, one of the things that people will pick up on as they read the Gospel of John is this whole deal with regard to the importance of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This is not highlighted in Matthew, Mark, and Luke the way it is highlighted in John. John, starting in John chapter 11 with the resurrection of of Lazarus, and then the plot because uh, people do not like the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, this whole deal about putting Jesus to death is a plot to shut him up. And we have that here, verse 17 of John 12. The crowd that had been with him 
when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. It makes it sound here like many of the people who witnessed uh, the resurrection of Lazarus are in this Hosanna palm-waving crowd as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Pastor, the significance of the resurrection of Lazarus and this plot and scheming that is clearly taught in the Gospel of John, why should it matter and why should our hearers care? Well, um, it, it is the reason that Jesus is crucified, according to John's Gospel, at least a part of it, because Jesus is able to raise Lazarus from the dead when he's very obviously dead, and that indicates the reality of who he is, that he is uh, the resurrection and the life, as he himself says at that time, the God uh, in human flesh. And uh, in fact, right before our Gospel lesson for today, uh, we, we kind of skipped over this a little bit, but uh, the Jews have plotted to kill Lazarus to try and put an end to this, to put him back to death, if you will. And uh, so now uh, the focus shifts from Lazarus onto Jesus, and they're going to eliminate him so that they don't lose their power and prestige and importance in the eyes of the average Jew, uh, as it is uh, pointed out who Christ is and what he's doing. And so it's all a power play on their part to keep themselves in the position of plow, uh, power. And, and I, you know, Boy, not to get into politics, that's what politicians do today, right? Everything they do is an effort to keep their power and, and get reelected, etc. And uh, the, the, the leaders of that day and that world were no different than the leaders of today in that regard. Do you have any uh, reason or ideas, uh, speculation, with regard to uh, why so much of this important detail is not included in the synoptic gospels well um you have a theory i have an i a guess but like i said it's just a guess so you take it with a grain of salt i imagine that lazarus and john after this point uh, interacted quite a bit uh in their future ministry whereas um Matthew, uh, who's writing his own gospel, and uh, Luke, who's with Paul, maybe didn't interact with them quite as much. Uh, Lazarus um, is supposedly the pastor of the island of Cyprus uh, later on. His second grave is there. And John did a lot of his ministry work in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and those two places are close together. So my guess is that they interacted a lot, and so John made sure to record this um, to record what happened to Lazarus because of its importance in his mind. Um, it also seems that John's gospel, written after the synoptic gospels, <clears throat> took great care to include, include certain signs and situations that maybe were not as detailed in the synoptic gospels. I'm thinking about the conversation with Nicodemus there, too, in John chapter 3. Do you think that may be a part of what's going on? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, we have to remember a little bit of church history here, and when we get into church history at this point, it's a little bit outside the scriptures, but uh, John is the last of the 12 apostles still alive, and uh, it's much later than uh, the other ones have been martyred that he's still alive on exile in the island of Patmos. And why did God keep him alive? Why didn't God let him be um, martyred? The reason is, is so that John could record 
both the book of Revelation and also the Gospel of John to record just a little bit more information about what Jesus did so that we might be sure and certain of all of our theology and the reality of who God is. God takes care of these things uh, and makes sure that his word is recorded the way he wishes um, through these men. And we have that idea for us in Scripture as well. Very good. When we come back, we want to take a look at the Old Testament reading, Zechariah 9, 9 to 12, quoted in the Gospel reading, John 12. We're looking at the readings for Palm Sunday. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, At the time that we record this, uh, our services are currently suspended. I'm not sure uh, when you hear this program what the status will be. Check online, check at our church website, uh, goodshepherdlincoln.org, and you can get all of our archived radio programs at thecross957.org. We keep our nation and its leaders in our prayers with regard to the proper way to deal with this ongoing pandemic, this scourge, this pestilence in our midst. And we also give thanks to God for doctors, medical personnel, researchers, um, all of the folks who are working so tirelessly to keep us safe and to search for a cure. And we pray God's blessings upon all godly vocations. Vicar, our Old Testament reading for Palm Sunday, Zechariah 9, 9 to 12, a portion of which is quoted in the gospel reading that we just looked at, John 12, 12 to 19. Take it away, Vicar. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, Your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rules shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today, I declare that I will restore to you double. All right, we have a uh, very, very familiar 
text, uh, because it's quoted in the New Testament, this Zechariah 9 uh, text, Zechariah 9, verse 9, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then in verses 10, 11, and 12, we have all kinds of stuff that's like, what in the world is this doing in here? How does this tie in with, uh, with Palm Sunday and what we're talking about? Uh, this part of the Word of God for most Christians is not familiar. So, Pastor, we want to take this in, uh, in two parts. First, um, can we talk about the familiar part that is quoted by John in John chapter 12 and then take a look at the wider context of what's going on in Zechariah 9? Is, is that a way to approach this? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess that's the question. <laughs> Go. Go. Um, the, uh, the familiar part at the beginning, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he mounted on a donkey. That's the part that's familiar that you hear every year in the gospel. Uh, the context for it in the Old Testament time, though, is a little different. Zechariah is a prophet. Uh, we have uh, his book recorded for us towards the end of the Old Testament. And Zechariah writes in the years 520 to 515. BC, which is after the 70-year exile to Babylon. King Darius uh, the Great is the ruler of the Persian Empire that has taken over, and uh, Jerusalem is a um, satrapy, a, a state that exists within this empire. And so, there's a certain sense of irony that is in these words recorded by Zechariah because they don't have a Jewish king. They don't have someone sitting on the throne of David. In fact, there's no chance or hope of that happening uh, anytime soon. And so it's a little bit ironic here that they're talking about this king. That teaches us then that Zechariah is looking forward uh, to a future event. It is a prophecy, and it is the prophecy then that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ writing into Jerusalem on the donkey uh, to sit on the throne of the cross to be crowned not with a golden uh, crown, but instead with thorns to uh, uh, not uh, carry a scepter, but instead to be beaten with a, a rod or a scepter and uh, clothed in purple, the royal color, to be mocked rather than to be worshipped. And so the irony there is, is pretty strong, and it is pointing ahead to our Lord and Savior Jesus. Okay. Vicar Golden was crestfallen when you said those words, Pastor, because uh, Vicar Golden, when you said there will be no golden crown, uh, he was confused. And uh, that Vicar, that does not have anything to say about people with a last name of Golden, okay? Um, all right, I still got it. Um, okay. I got, I got the golden ladle from the soup cook-off. So. Yeah, well, that's just because we felt sorry for you. Um Zechariah 9, 10 through 12 uh, is also a part of our Old Testament. So help us out here, Pastor, with that historical background that you gave us. Um, in verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim or Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations 
uh, and uh, he'll rule from sea to sea, from the mouth of the river to the ends of the earth. Let's look specifically at Zechariah 9, verse 10. What is this chariot, war horse, Ephraim, Jerusalem stuff? Well, uh, at the time Zechariah is writing, these are the powerful tools of war uh, that were used to conquer and enforce kingship and rule upon other people. And Zechariah is saying very clear here that when Jesus comes into his kingdom and reigns and rules as a king, it won't be by force or conquering or things like that. And in fact, this is you can kind of see here one of the places where the disciples, before the time of the resurrection, they're actually kind of lacking in their Bible knowledge because if they would read Zechariah and understand it, they would they would not be cutting off Malchus's ear. Uh, they would not have this uh, delusion of grandeur that Christ is going to reign in and conquer and reestablish by force a new Israel. Uh, rather, they would understand that, as it kind of says here, uh, he shall speak peace to the nations. What's the way that the kingdom of God is brought into existence and founded and sustained? It is by speaking peace. In other words, maybe we could say by preaching the gospel, God's word is what will establish this new kingdom of Jesus. Can we contrast the picture between a war horse in verse 10 and uh, humble and mounted on a donkey in verse 9? I think there is a certain amount of contrast there. You wouldn't ride a donkey into a uh, battle. Uh, you know, stubborn donkey might not even go and do that. Um, they're the, the pack animals that are maybe in the baggage train and things like that. They're not the glorious war horse. You don't have paintings of George Washington sitting on a donkey. You don't have paintings of Napoleon sitting on a donkey or Julius Caesar. And so there is a certain amount of uh, contrast there. Um, I think there's a little more there as well. The uh, When I was a kid growing up, it was kind of popular to have donkey baseball or donkey basketball. Yeah, I've seen And that. I don't know if people do that kind of stuff anymore, but it was a joke. Uh, it, was, it was a farce, and it was meant to make people laugh. And so the idea, if I'm thinking of those pictures in my mind, the idea of a king come coming in, riding in on a donkey, and those donkey feet are moving really fast, and they're kind of wobbly, like a, like a big person with little bitty skinny chicken legs, you know, that sometimes looks a little funny when they walk. That's the kind of picture that I get. And that is what Zechariah is teaching us. It will not be what you expect. It will not be what you expect. And that is the part of that great reversal theme that we have running all throughout Scripture. I want to get into verse uh, 11 here, Pastor. Uh, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Man, oh man, that sounds pretty Lutheran. It really does, uh, especially I think uh, last week, did we talk about the waterless pit as well, waterless places, uh, when the, the demon was driven out? A week or two um, ago, yes. And uh, that idea, that's that's the a picture of what hell is, is the waterless place uh, where your tongue cannot be quenched or cooled, uh, as we hear in the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, and so death, the grave, the waterless pit— 
God's people are being rescued from that, set free from that, because of the blood of the covenant. And what's that blood? Well, a covenant would be a deal between two people. Uh, to make the deal, they would cut an animal in half, arrange the two halves across, and they would stand uh, in the midst of the blood and the guts and the mess in the middle, and they would say, if you break this deal, you're going to be like this animal. I get the right to cut you a half. Um, and the covenant is made between God and the people many times throughout Scripture, renewed many times. Perhaps the most familiar one would be uh, Abraham and the smoking pot. And uh, the neat thing about that is God stands in the midst of those two animal halves. The deal is made between Abraham and God, and yet who's the one who gets cut in half or cut down? It's Jesus. And so his blood is fulfilling the covenant that we've failed to keep ourselves, and that's really kind of a neat picture to bring about. The blood of the covenant shed for you. Uh, God's word is clear. That's, uh, that's our forgiveness, life, and salvation. And if we look at this in the context of verse 12, it is our hope. You know, right now, uh, we, we have a lot of people who are worried and anxious and panicking. Verse 12 of Zechariah 9 says, Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare I will restore to you double. That phrase there, Pastor, O prisoners of hope. How can we unpack that for our hearers? Well, there is the immediate context where the people at Zechariah's time have just returned from their exile to Babylon, but there's also the expanded uh, reality, and we're talking about being set free from the waterless pit, from sin, death, and hell. Um, now we're able to return to the stronghold, uh, a mighty fortress is our God, maybe you could say. Uh, and the restoring double reminds us of the book of Job as well, where everything was taken from Job, and then by God's grace and mercy, everything he had before was given to him twice as much, uh, including his family members, if you uh, factor in the reality of resurrection. And so that same thing that is true in all those cases is true for us as well through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hopelessness abounds. Where do we look? Do we look to Washington? Do we look to our 401k? Do we look to our medical providers? Uh, all of those are gifts from God. But our ultimate hope is in the blood of the Lamb of God shed for you on Calvary's cross. The Lamb who comes to save us, the Lamb who has shed his blood and conquered sin, death, and the grave for us. My friends, worry is sin. God's word and the blood of Jesus Christ drives away all fear, worry, and panic. Cling to his word, and God's gift of hope will be yours. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. This is Proclaiming the One. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Children sang their praises 
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are looking at the readings for Palm Sunday. In our first two segments, we looked at the gospel reading, John 12, 12 to 19. In our third segment, we looked at a very, very rich Old Testament reading, uh, Zechariah 9, 9 to 12, and uh, Pastor Moline really did a magnificent job of giving the historical uh, context and also the theological import of that great text. And now we turn to another great text, and we might be asking ourselves, what does this have to do with Palm Sunday? Aha! That's what we're going to unpack. The epistle reading for Palm Sunday, Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11. Many people consider this an early Christian creed or an early Christian hymn. Vicar, take it away. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. All right. We have have said on numerous occasions that most of the time in the one-year series of readings, the gospel reading drives everything that's going on for the day. The Old Testament reading is chosen as a connection or as a as an encouragement with regard to that theme and then the epistle reading is a practical application of what we're talking about and so it would seem that way it starts out with philippians 2 verse 5 have this mind among yourselves uh, the apostle paul under the inspiration of the holy spirit is teaching christians to have This kind of a mind, this kind of an attitude, uh, is that the kind of mind we're talking about here, Pastor? Or is this more than an attitude? Well, what he's saying is, um, amongst you Christians, uh, this is the way that you should think, or this is the thing you should confess or believe or know. Uh, That's the kind of thing that he's talking about, the the translation here, um, have this mind among yourselves. In the Greek, it is uh, the verb is to think. Uh, this is the way y'all should think uh, amongst yourselves in Jesus Christ. And that's the way maybe we ought to understand it. Okay. So, uh, Christians, think this way. Have the mind of Christ among you. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Pastor, is this a good translation? Is this a present reality? Do I have this already? Um, well, in, in the Greek, the good translation is, is it, this is an imperative, right? You, this is how y'all uh, should think 
uh, that which is in Christ Jesus. And, and I mean, so it's a good translation in terms of it puts the thought into English, but it's not necessarily the best translation in the sense that it kind of changes what the verb is uh, in a way just because of the way we read things. So this is how your mind ought to work. This is what you ought to believe. This is what you ought to think. Uh, And then we're going to go into this explanation of who Jesus is, the humble one who sets aside God's glory and uh, went to the cross to bleed and suffer and die. Okay, so when you say imperative... Um, again, uh, some of us grew up in the sixties and did not get the education that you did. So we're just talking about a command here, right? Just a simple command. Yes. God is commanding Christians. Uh, this is like a law. Do this, have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus, but you keep suppressing it, you keep forgetting it, you keep sinning. Uh, this is what you should do. And then he goes on, and he says, uh, talking about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let's take a look at that phrase right there. That is a really cumbersome way of saying a very, very simple truth. What is that simple truth that the Holy Spirit is teaching us here? That Jesus, God, uh, who owns everything, set it all aside to come down and suffer and bleed and die for us. I mean, um, the the word, uh, the thing to be grasped, uh, the the word also can mean booty, right? Uh, the the booty that a, a pirate is after. Oh, uh, that you know, of. first, in an earlier segment, you had Abraham smoking pot, and now you're talking about booty. Uh, yep. I, I'm, I don't think this, uh, Loot. this quarantine thing has been good for you, Pastor. Yeah, well... Uh, it's it's booty in the sense when you conquer someone and you are pillaging and taking things from people's homes, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about, loot, uh, that sort of thing. And so he didn't hold on to that like you would fight and... and uh, um work to keep, you know, the the best gold pieces you found in someone's house. He he let it go. He held on to something else, and the thing he held on to was us, uh, and that's the picture Paul's painting. So what we have here is a really complex, detailed explanation by the Holy Spirit on how Jesus can be true God and true man all in the same person. Is that a, is that a fair way to say it, Pastor? Yeah, I think so. And oftentimes you will hear pastors, and I, I, I know I use this kind of code word a lot, I'll talk about the person and work of Jesus, who he is and what he has done, his person and his work. And when we are talking about the person of Jesus, we are talking about the fact that he is true God, begotten of the Father from all eternity, and also truly man, truly a human being, born of the Virgin Mary. This Jesus, God and man in one person, is my Lord. And that is a special focus of both the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed. And so we sense this this creedal, hymnic nature of these verses in Philippians chapter 2. Have I overstated that, Pastor? No, not at all. Okay. So um, then uh, in verse uh, 7, but made himself nothing, 
taking the form of a servant. And I assume that's why this is uh, connected to Palm Sunday here with the humility of the king coming to meet us, being born in the likeness of man. This is oftentimes referred to, Pastor, as the humiliation of Jesus. So I have a, a simple question for you here. The humiliation of Jesus is not the fact that Jesus became a human being. Why is that a significant thing to make sure that we have a good grip on? Ask it one more time. Okay. Simply becoming a human being, the incarnation, is not a part of Jesus' humiliation. Because that would mean that at his exaltation, he would have to cease being a human. I understand where you're going. Okay. And I think sometimes Christians get this a little bit confused. The laying aside of his glory and his power that uh, is his godly nature in the sense um, coming down to earth and... and, um, suffering at our hands is 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 part of that humiliation and i understand where you're you're going at with this yeah okay the incarnation of jesus christ is not a part of the humiliation otherwise jesus uh being exalted would have to get rid of his humanity and he is true man and true god risen from the dead even now for you and i think sometimes that very simple truth and again i think in simple ways and i apologize for not asking the question in a little better way um let's move here in the time that we have left pastor to the exaltation of jesus we have this beautiful confession here he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death even death on the cross therefore verse 9 god has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name two questions first with the exaltation this exaltation of Jesus. Is this Jesus who was dead coming back to life? Is this Jesus who was dead rising from the dead by making an appearance after his death? Or is this Jesus' ascension into heaven? Well, those things are all part of the exaltation. I think even Jesus hanging on the cross is part of the uh, exaltation because in that we see the reality of God saving his people and who he really is. It's in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that uh, the reality of God's salvific work is seen. And so the thing is you can't separate all these things. It's all together in that regard, too, from uh when he says it is finished and the victory is won all the way up until he ascends into heaven and even when he comes to us now, all this part is a part of Christ being exalted. The uh, Eskulman would say it's always dangerous when you start separating uh, the specifics of the person and work of Jesus. It is the whole enchilada for you, and I think that that is a good point. Last thing here, Pastor, last question. It seems to me that... uh, The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 makes a big neat deal out of the name of Jesus, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Why the emphasis on the name of Jesus? 
Well, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the name of God was a very important thing. We even have commandment. You should not misuse the name of the Lord. Uh, Moses asks God, what is your name? And he says, I am that I am. And that word, I am that I am, in the Hebrew everywhere, that it becomes, uh, uh, later on in Scripture, it becomes God's name. And in fact, it was so important that um, even the scribes writing down the Bible in the Old Testament times changed it to uh, to to kind of indicate that the name, but we're not going to say it or speak it in the Greek. When it translated, it was become Lord instead of I am that I am. And so this idea of God's holy name is very important. And there extends into the name that is placed upon us in the waters of holy baptism and that marks us as belonging to God forever in his kingdom. Thank you. Well said. And uh, we probably don't emphasize that second commandment aspect enough in the life of a Christian. Vicar, would you bring things to a close for our study of Palm Sunday by praying the collect of the day? Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you sent your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, to to take upon himself our flesh and to suffer death upon the cross. Mercifully grant that we may follow the example of his great humility and patience and be made partakers of his resurrection. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One today. These are unusual times, but some things don't change. When you get up on Sunday morning, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastors, and... However you do it, either physically or in uh, some technological way, go to church. Hear the word of God. Christ humbled and exalted for you. Thanks be to God.